This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that is turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. KCSU Fort Collins and KCSUFM.com. I'm Julia Badalese. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Hello and welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am one of two co-hosts here. One of two hosts, I, I suppose. Yes. I'm joined in studio with Julia <laughs> Badalese, my co-host. Hello, this is me. And we are also joined in <laughs> studio with Lewis Fink. How are you doing? I'm Lois, great. I'm Thank sorry. You. Nice to uh, see you guys. So on Rookie mistake. I know, rookie, I know. <laughs> but on today's show, we have a great show coming up for you guys. We will do an interview with Lewis, Lois, God, I keep looking at the name, I'm sorry, the spelling, uh, Lois Fink, um, about her new book that she has that was published about a year ago. We'll jump into local and go over topics such as a Colorado teen in custody. Uh, we will go into construction that may impact Loveland and Fort Collins. Uh, we have gun news. We have an FBI investigation. <laughs> uh, and FOCO wins a lot of money, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> we have sports. We jump into national. We talk about Billy Graham and North Korea. And then we have our Soja's podcast. And then we have our music segment with our very own Ave Martin. And don't forget our pre-record with the wonderful, uh, it's Martha Cohen, right? Yes. Um, that our uh, field reporter Seth Bodine did. Um, she is a uh, Holocaust survivor uh, on all over, all around wonderful woman. Yeah, she spoke um, here last night. Yeah, yeah, spoke here last night. And then we um, also are going to have weather because everyone's looking forward to weather because <laughs> no one can look that up on her, on their phone. Nobody can, <laughs> only me. But anyways, we are going to jump into our interview now. Um, Lois, so you are an international speaker, writer. Um, you have your own book titled um, Courage Takes Guts, Lessons from a Lost Colon. Um, so can you kind of explain like kind of what the synopsis of that book is and kind of like what it is you're trying to accomplish? Of course, be glad to. <clears throat> Courage Takes Scott's Lessons Learned from a Lost Colon was born about a year ago. It probably took me six or seven months to write, and then the rest of the time was spent on getting it professionally edited, formatted, um, the design of the front and the back cover, and then finally uploaded to Amazon CreateSpace. I wrote Courage Takes Guts because I wanted people who were going through and dealing with Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, better known as inflammatory bowel disease, and those who were either facing ostomy surgery or about to have ostomy surgery to know that they were not alone. People with inflammatory bowel disease have a huge amount of shame and embarrassment that they deal with because it deals with our gut, our digestive system. And we have a society, as a society rather, really would rather not hear about it or talk about it. And I experienced that shame and that embarrassment. And as far as ostomy surgery, that surgery that nobody wants to talk about because you've got the bag, (laughs) I also wanted people to know that You don't have to believe the myths and fears about ostomy surgery and that you can have a full, active, rewarding life after ostomy surgery. And what exactly is ostomy surgery? Is it the only effective way to kind of help prevent Crohn's disease? Well, I, when I had my ostomy surgery, the pharmacological management of the disease was basically steroids and a few other immunosuppressant disease, uh, 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 medications rather. I had the kind of Crohn's disease that no matter what you threw at it, it just wasn't going to be able to come into remission. And as far as ostomy surgery, which uh, affects all people of, of ages from newborns to teens to college students to older people, um, it's a way for in the in the event of colorectal cancer, it's a life-saving procedure. Basically, it can be viewed as diversion surgery. So, either your contents of your bowel or your bladder are diverted from the normal route and diverted to a slightly different part of your body. So, basically, I have no colon and I have no rectum. A small amount of my small intestine, better known as the ileum, is brought to the surface. And if you can imagine a cuff on your 
hit on your uh, blouse or shirt, turn it back on itself, and then it's stitched to my abdomen. And I wear a small ostomy pouching system that collects fecal matter. And then several times a day, I empty the pouch. I sit on the toilet normally, just the way I would. And about every five days, I take off the one pouching system and put on a brand new one. It's really pretty simple. It doesn't have any negative effect on my life. And I just go to the bathroom slightly differently than you do. That's it, basically. <laughs> um, it kind of seems like, you know, this disease has kind of turned into like a positive aspect in your life as you've spread the message to numerous people. Um, has it always been the case that this was kind of what you wanted to help people with, what you were passionate about, or was there a kind of time in your life where you kind of just wanted to give up and not really um, have to go through something like this? That's a really good question. I was diagnosed finally when I was 17. I was in the hospital. I found out I had Crohn's disease, and I actually weighed 62 pounds. I was frightened. I was angry. I thought it was a disease for old people. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a teenager and you ask your parents, why me, you don't really expect to get a very good answer. And I was no different than most teens. I thought my father especially was pretty stupid. I didn't realize <laughs> as, as he got older, he actually got smarter. But I, you know, yeah. <laughs> had a few years to discover that. Yep. And when I said, why me? He said, I don't know. And then I thought to myself, why did I even bother to ask him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he said something very profound. He said, perhaps later in life, you will meet someone. And because of what you're going through now, you will know what to say and how to help. I couldn't believe those words came out of my father's mouth. They have been a roadmap for me to follow. I never thought that I would be here today speaking openly about what I went through with my life as I battled Crohn's disease and later made the decision to have ostomy surgery. But once I had my ostomy surgery, the fear, the shame, and the embarrassment of having a bowel disease simply went away, and I remember my father's words. And I decided I could talk for those who still couldn't. And the two things I initially thought were the worst that could have happened to me, having Crohn's disease and having to go through ostomy surgery, have actually given me the greatest gifts, and I wouldn't trade any of it. So my next question for you is just kind of going off of your father's words. Is there a particular moment in your career that you kind of like sticks out to you, like maybe like a testimonial from someone who's attended, like a speech that you've had? um, Or is it more of a lasting moment for you as like your father's words as you kind of go forward in your career? I just kept meeting incredible people. They brought brought inspiration to my life. I remember one young woman, she she was 14 when she went into an old Navy store and was denied the access to an employee-only restroom. She had an accident. She and her mom had to buy clothes for her to change into. She became an activist, and she lived in Illinois and contacted her state representative. And a little while later, Allie's law was passed. And here in Colorado and in other states, it's known as the restroom access bill. Yeah, I've actually heard of that. Great. Yeah. Meeting Allie was incredible. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe I I was living in Washington State in Seattle. Maybe I could do something like that. It's people like that that inspired me. And there was never really a point in my life that that I considered what I had gone through to be a burden. It really has made a huge positive difference in my life. So you've appeared on like numerous radio, television shows, Um, you hold international conferences, you've written this book, you've written articles. Um, When did you kind of start thinking that maybe this is something that you wanted to turn into a career? And what was your first public appearance ever talking about this subject? Great question. I had written a very shortened version of my story, and it appeared in a book called Great Comebacks from Ostomy Surgery compiled by Rolf Benershka. He was a former place kicker for the San Diego Chargers. And when that book came out, I, of course, gave a copy to my doctor. And she said, okay, here's your assignment. I don't know how you're going to do this, but you need to start talking to the medical students. They need to hear your story. And however you manage to do it, go for it. And that's what started me on this path of speaking to nursing students and medical students and branching out 
uh, to other organizations because I wanted them to know that, especially doctors, it's so important to listen to your patient. That's not what was happening to me when I was a teen. I was discounted. And it was actually my my, uh, doctor who said, here you go. And I had no idea at that point that that would, quote, launch uh, my speaking career, but that's how it started. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Thank you. Um, so, final question to you: um, If there's anybody out there right now, kind of listening, that may be going through a similar scenario, similar kind of prognosis, what would what would your advice be to them? My advice would be to make sure that you get the support you need. When I had my surgery, I didn't know that there was an, a nonprofit organization. It's called the United Ostomy Associ- Associations of America, UOAA. They provide support, education, empowerment, and advocacy. So if you are facing ostomy surgery or you've just had it, check them out for that needed support. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lois. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. When we come back, we're going to jump into our local and Fort Collins news, as well as our sports segment with Bjorn Larson. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Gabe Peterson. I'm one of two hosts here at Makes Julia Battalese, who's in the studio with me, my other host. That is that is me. Yes. We have a ridiculous amount of reporters in here right now. I know. I, it's cozy. I love it. <laughs> we have Seth Bodine, our field reporter. We have Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter slash just regular reporter. <laughs> um, we also have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent, and Raven Color, our, <laughs> our reporter that still doesn't have a specific name, but she does a lot of things. So the the lots of things reporter, but you know. The awesome reporter. <laughs> Anyways, we'll figure that out later. We're going to move on to our local news segment, and I'm actually going to send that over to you, Julia, for the first story. Thank you. Um, after the shooting in Florida, we have noticed an increase in people vocalizing their concern with uh, assault rifles in America. That, however, did not seem to be the same narrative for a Colorado teen from Grand Junction. After the shooting, a 15-year-old was allegedly heard saying he could have done more damage than the shooter from Florida, reports the Associated Press. After the threats, he um, has since been brought into custody and will at least be held there until Monday. Magistrate Will McNulty's decision to hold the teen is said to have been because of the teen's two juvenile delinquency cases in the past. McNulty said he wanted to be more sure of his mental health status before releasing him. He denied a request from his mother to let him out earlier in the week, reports the Daily Centennial. The mother of the 15-year-old defended her son, saying that he was just, quote, analytical and didn't think it was, and she didn't think it was actually a threat. According to the Denver Post, the Grand Junction Police Department um, is continuing to encourage parents to, quote, remind children of the importance of immediately reporting anything they perceive as a threat or safety issue. Aurora Police Officer Bill Hummel also reminded the surrounding community that those threats can be considered felony le- a felony level and will be taken very seriously. And now I'm going to send it over to Bjorn. Yeah. Cyclists and walkers in northern Colorado will now have a new connecting trail between Fort Collins and Loveland to utilize. According to Pamela Johnson of the Loveland Reporter Herald, construction is underway on a second paved trail that will connect Fort Collins and Loveland. The 4.4-mile trail will run through the Longview Corridor. It will traverse over a community separated of protected public and farmland. This trail will also act as a connector to Loveland's 19 miles of trail and Fort Collins 35. Resource specialist with Larimer County and one of the partners on the Longview Trail, Zach Webby, says, Construction is happening over the winter and so far it has stayed on schedule. Officials expect the concrete to be poured in April and the trailhead is expected to open on July 1st. The overall cost of the project is about $3.9 million. The money for the project comes from all over, such as grants as the Great Outdoors Colorado Grant and the Transportation Alternatives Program Grant. Those grants are both kicking in $1 million. The project is a partnership between Loveland, Larimer County, and Fort Collins, with about half of it on Fort Collins land and the second half split between Loveland and Larimer County. Greg Oaks, a park planner with the Fort Collins, expects it to be highly used. Oak said, it's a big connector. You see lots of people riding to work in Loveland, and this will be a healthy recreational route. And now I'll toss it over to Raven. 
All right, a bill which would allow those with concealed carry permits to have their firearms inside K-12 through schools is introduced to the Colorado legislature every year, but has attracted significant attention in the past week. House Minority Leader Patrick Neville, uh, a Republican from Castle Rock and a survivor of the Columbine High School shooting, introduced House Bill 1037, reports Saja Hindi of the Coloradoan. Neville said that the bill would allow for people with concealed carry permits to defend, quote, our children from the worst case scenarios in schools, but acknowledges that the bill is unlikely to pass in a Democratic controlled house. Uh, Both the Poudre School District and the Thompson School District have released statements saying they were monitoring the progress of the bill, but in light of the school shooting in Florida last week, will refrain from commenting until they have completed community outreach. Thompson Superintendent Stan Shear said, quote, we need to take a step back, discuss it with the community, and have conversations not just about weapons, but support for students that make some sense. He also said that when schools first discussed student resource officers, concerns were raised about having armed law enforcement officials on campuses. Fort Collins Police Service Interim Chief Terry Jones said, Quote, it's not the people with concealed carried weapons that we have to worry about. It's generally those who don't have permits. Larimer County Sheriff Justin Smith said that there is evidence showing that restricting where concealed carry weapons are allowed keeps schools safer, but added that more legislation and work has to be done to prevent shootings. This bill was the only gun legislation struck down in the state Veterans and Military Affairs Committee during yesterday's hearing, according to Jesse Paul of the Denver Post. Thank you, Raven. Yeah. Didn't you say that uh, that guy that proposed the bill, he does it like every year? Yeah, he's he proposed it every single year that he's been part of the House. Hmm. So that's fun for him. Yeah. All right, well, moving on in uh, more local news, I'm going to send it over to you, Seth. Sure. Uh, so on, on Thursday, February 15th, a shootout with a Montezuma County deputy turned fatal near the Colorado Utah border. The other two the two other suspects were arrested, according to the Cortez Journal. Montezuma County Sheriff Deputy Steve Nellen has reported that a deputy was conducting a traffic stop on County Road G. When the vehicle was being approached by the deputy, the driver made a U turn and fled the scene, which turned into a ten mile high speed pursuit. Shortly after crossing the border from Colorado into Utah, the car lost a tire, causing the driver to pull over. The driver came out with his hands up, and the car then rolled into a ditch, which sparked a bushfire. At this point, one of the vehicle's two passengers started to fire at the deputy, who returned fire. This resulted in a death of one of the vehicle's passengers. Determining where the final shootout took place was deemed difficult, but it was eventually determined that it had taken place on Navajo uh, trust land. Because of this, and because the crime committed was a felony, the FBI has taken over the case. Deputies and two occupants, the driver and the one of the passengers, were uninjured, according to the Denver Post. The driver of the vehicle and the uninjured passengers were arrested by the sheriff's office and turned over to Navajo police, according to the Cortez Journal. Names of the suspects and deputies have not been released, according to the Denver Post. Yeah, and that story is written by one of our reporters, Katie Otter. Um, And then we're going to send it over to JD for our final local story. Right. Fort Collins has won a $100,000 Bloomberg grant to encourage home efficiency upgrades to up to 47,000 low-income Fort Collins residents, reports Nick Coltrane of the Coloradan. Fort Collins is one of 35 cities to receive Bloomberg Philanthropies grant, with the city's main pitch for Bloomberg's grant being a public-private partnerships for upgrading single- and multifamily rental properties. Mayor Wade Troxell picked the theme of climate economy or the idea that high emissions are not necessary for sustained economic growth for the pitch and had this to say about receiving it. Everyone in our community deserves the chance to improve the energy efficiency in their homes for their well-being and the overall health of the community. We are honored to be recognized by Bloomberg as a community focused on reducing our energy usage and making those programs more accessible. The project has only entered its infancy, but it has six months to plan for the grant, which is, according to the city, expected to generate 150 new jobs and at least $75.8 million during the program's life. 
Additionally, Fort Collins can, in six months, apply for an additional million-dollar grant if it is one of the final four cities in Bloomberg's Mayor's Challenge, with a grand prize of $5 million going to the winning city. Other local grant winners include Denver as well as Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's a lot of money sort of flowing into Fort Collins. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to move on to Bjorn Larson for sports. Yeah, the... uh, the Colorado State men's basketball team is in the midst of its worst season in nearly a decade. On Wednesday night in Moby Arena, the discouraging season reached its lowest point in an 87-54 to loss to Boise State. The Rams only shot 28% from the field and 24% from three-point range. We just didn't bring it tonight, and there's no excuse for that, said junior J.D. Page. As a whole team, we didn't bring enough energy. We didn't show any heart or competitiveness tonight. It's just baffling. The Rams will travel to Reno, Nevada for their penultimate game of the season against the Nevada Wolfpack on Sunday. A key part of Colorado State softball early success this season is junior pitcher Bridget Hutton. On Wednesday, she was announced as the Mountain West Pitcher of the Week. Last weekend at the Hill and Brand Invitational, Hutton went 2-for-1 with a 1.56 ERA. Hutton pinched complete games against the University of Troy and the University of Arizona, along with a win against the University of Montana to help the Rams continue their fast start. It is her second time winning the award in her career and the first conference award for the Rams this season. The Platteville, Colorado native will have her first chance to play in front of a home crowd on February 27th as CSU takes on the University of Northern Colorado. And now for a quick Olympic update. USA sports are really coming alive in the past few days, starting off when the U.S. women won their first ever gold medal in cross-country skiing. Minnesota native Jesse Diggins and Vermont native Keegan Randall won the women's team sprint final over Sweden, earning them the first gold medal ever for the sport. Next, USA has really been beating up on our neighbors to the north. Last night, the U.S. women's hockey team defeated Canada in an overtime six-round shootout to earn the gold medal. Joycelyn Lemaru-Davidson worked her magic to get past Canada's goaltender to earn Team USA the win and their first gold medal since 1998. Finally, U.S. men's curling is advancing to the gold medal match on Saturday. Team Schuster defeated Canada in the semifinal round 5-3 after back-and-forth play all game. This is a historic moment for U.S. curling as the best the team has ever done is a bronze medal in 2006. They are guaranteed at least a silver medal in their final game. Team USA now has eight gold, seven silver, and six bronze medal total throughout these games. And that wraps up your sports update. Thank you, Bjorn. Yeah. That's uh... the hockey thing was really funny because I uh, my I have a, a group chat with my roommates, and I was passed out by like eleven. Um, but I around like twelve thirty, I think I got like a bunch of texts in my group chat from like my roommate who's just down the hall, and she's like, "We did it! We did it!" <laughs> well, they were playing it in the Collegian like down the hall, like, like they really? twenty minutes ago, and I didn't because I was doing homework oh, yeah. last night, so I didn't even know that they won. So I just looked it up, and I mm-hmm. that's what that whole like. Um, 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 whatever arm raise was, you yeah. Saw. But anyways, uh, it was a yeah, good game. that's awesome. Go, uh, go USA, baby. USA chance. USA, USA, USA. USA. <laughs> All God. right. Well, thank you guys so much. We're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. But when we come back, we will be jumping into national and global news, as well as our uh, weekly digest, sustainability digest podcast. Um, we got a bunch of other stuff coming up for the rest of the show. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on ninety point five KCSU Fort Collins. CSU is supported by Washington's in Fort Collins, a new music venue open this month. Upcoming shows include Carl Denson's Tiny Universe on February 16th and Martin Sexton with Keller Williams on March 11th. Tickets and info at washingtonsfoco.com. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here at the show. I am joined in the studio with Julia Badalise, my yep. other host. Yep, and we definitely were giggling for a purpose, not just because we were going back on air. Yes, we definitely were, but we're not going to... Anyways, we have Seth Bodine, <laughs> our field reporter in studio with us. Hey, I'm here we a have, lot of the time. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Generally. Uh, we have Generally. our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton. I live here. Yes, you so. do. And we are joined with our awesome reporter, as I guess what we're calling you today, uh, Raven Color. I am here. Um, we are going to jump into <laughs> national and global news now, and I'm going to send that first story over to you, JD. Right. 
The televangelist Reverend Billy Graham passed away on Wednesday at age 99. Reverend Graham was a charismatic preacher who was best known for his nearly six decades of preaching tours. He called crusades. From everywhere from Miami to Moscow, reports Kathy Grossman of USA News, Graham would console presidents in dark times and is said to have shown millions Christianity. President Trump tweeted this about Graham's passing. The great Billy Graham is dead. There was nobody like him. He will be missed by Christians and all religions. A very special man. Thank you, JD. I appreciate it. Um, I guess I have the next uh, national it's, story. It's right to you, Gabe. Right to me. <laughs> Earlier, earlier this month, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un was set to meet with U.S. Vice President Mike Pence, but North Korea canceled the trip. Kevin Liptak and Joshua Ber Berlinger of CNN report that this was a politically charged visit to the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Ashley Parker of the Washington Post reports that this was an agreed secret meeting with officials from North Korea. On February 10th, less than two hours before the scheduled meeting, Kim Jong-un's younger sister, Kim Yo-jong, pulled out of the meeting, according to Pence's office. Liptak and Berlinger report that Kim Yo-jong is head of North Korea's propaganda department, and this meeting was supposed to take place at the Blue House in Seoul, South Korea. Liptak and Berlinger also report that this meeting had nothing that had to do with North Korea's use of ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons. The State Department said Pence had been ready at the meeting to, quote, drive home the necessity of North Korea, North Korea abandoning, its, abandoning its illicit ballistic missile and nuclear programs. State Department spokeswoman Heather Newert said... Quote, we regret their failure to seize this opportunity. We will not apologize for American values, for calling attention to human rights abuses, or for mourning a young American's just death. Parker reports that the vice president's office said that the North Korea expressed some dissatisfaction about the new sanctions that the U.S. had put on North Korea. Gardner Harris of the New York Times reports that the office of Moon Jae of South Korea refused to comment on the canceled meeting. Officials of South Korea say that they are encur they encourage both sides to talk things out. And that was written by our reporter, Joe Green. Yay. Yay. And now we're going to jump into our <laughs> weekly Sustainable Digest podcast. So enjoy. Welcome to the weekly Sustainable Digest, brought to you by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. This week, we explore how conflict zones create accidental parks. For the last two weeks, the eyes of the world have turned toward Korea as the 23rd Olympic Winter Games are being hosted in Pyeongchang. Much of the coverage of these games has focused on politics and the relationship between North and South Korea. While they march together in the opening ceremonies, these two countries remain physically divided by a heavily guarded strip of land cutting across the peninsula, the Demilitarized Zone, or DMZ. The DMZ was established in 1953 as part of the ceasefire that ended active warfare between North and South Korea. It has been described as the scariest place on Earth because two huge armies stare at each other across no man's land, waiting for any provocation from the other side. This danger keeps people away, but it creates a haven for wildlife. Over the last six decades, plant and animal life has thrived in this accidental park. At about two and a half miles wide and 155 miles long, this strip of land covers a variety of habitats and provides refuge for numerous species, including the endangered red-crowned crane. There have even been unconfirmed reports of Siberian tigers, a species long since thought extinct in Korea. While the DMZ is a symbol of tension and conflict, it is also a place of great potential. Since the 1990s, conservationists have been trying to officially recognize the DMZ as a protected area. This would help protect local species but might also play a role in reducing tensions between the two countries. Turning a conflict zone into a preserve isn't a new idea. Another, perhaps more infamous, armed border was the Iron Curtain, which split Europe into East and West, communist and democratic. Perhaps the most prominent part of the border was between East and West Germany. As in Korea, people were not allowed to venture into this area. This let nature make a comeback. After the fall of East Germany in 1989, Germans from both sides of the border quickly mobilized to save what they saw as a unique ecological gem. While they weren't completely successful, they did protect about 85% of the former border as a green belt. Later, the vision was expanded to encompass the whole of the former Iron Curtain, stretching nearly 8,000 miles 
from the Barents Sea in the far north to the Baltic Sea in the south. While this is an impressive achievement, the Greenbelt itself is narrow, sometimes only a couple hundred feet across. This doesn't provide sufficient habitat for most larger animals, but it does form important connections, or ecological highways, between larger protected areas. Connections like these are important because they allow animals to freely travel between protected zones, finding new homes and new mates. These current and former militarized borders have created unintentional conservation areas, but can conservation itself actually be a force for peace? Last week on the Sustainable Digest, Carolina Gutierrez talked about how environmental preservation and study can be renewed following the end of decades of conflict in Colombia. Some researchers, however, think environmental protection has a role in actually ending conflict. Dr. Salim Ali at the University of Vermont thinks that facing a shared environmental threat can bring two adversaries together by initiating talks in an otherwise conflict-prone relationship. For decades, Pakistan and India have fought over the Kashmir region. While important politically, the region is also an important water source. By coming together to address potential water shortages, many hope these two nations can create a more lasting peace. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, come explore the Environment and Conflict in Latin America Bilingual Film Series and Symposium being held next week at CSU. A film series will be held around campus from Tuesday to Thursday, followed by a symposium on Friday in the Lowry Student Center. On Wednesday, Gina McCarthy, the former head of the Environmental Protection Agency, will speak about sustainability, world health, and climate change. The event will be held in the Student Center Grand Ballroom at 6 p.m. Visit sustainability.colostate.edu for more information on both events. Thanks for joining me, Rod Lammers, for the weekly Sustainable Digest from Colorado State University. For more information, you can find us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, or at kcsufm.com. That was the weekly Sustainable Digest podcast. Great job, Rod Lammers of the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. We're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review, but when we come back, we will get into a pre-recorded segment with our field reporter, Seth Bodine, and his interview with Martha Cohen, the Holocaust survivor. So stay tuned. Yo, this is Brian from the Bouncing Souls. You're listening to 90.5. I was in Germany, and there were times when I was in great danger, and I never knew when danger would start. Martha Cohn, a 97-year-old French native who worked as a spy for the intelligence service of the 1st French Army, came to CSU Wednesday to talk during the 20th annual Holocaust Awareness Week. Cohn joined the Army in November of 1944, where she was eventually assigned to the 151st Regiment of the French Army. She was recruited by the colonel of her regiment, Pierre Avia, during lunchtime. He explained to me that in Germany, all males from the age of 12 to old age are in uniform. So any man in civilian clothes walking the streets of Germany would be noticed and arrested. And he asked me if I accepted to be transferred to the intelligence service. When the Germans invaded France, Cohn's sister was eventually arrested and taken by a Nazi military police force. Cohn's sister refused to escape, even though there were plans to save her, and later Cohn found out that she had been sent to multiple camps and eventually to Auschwitz, where she disappeared. My sister disappeared, we don't know anything. How she died, we don't know anything. Cohn attempted to cross into Germany 13 times and was successful on her 14th. The first time she crossed, she was told to crawl behind a patch of bushes and wait for two sentinels to turn their backs and walk in between them into the country and to the east because there were no barriers. Once lying behind these bushes, seeing the sentinel come and go, I became absolutely frenetically desperate. I didn't want to go. 
And I felt that nobody had the right to make me go. I felt very sorry for myself. And I, it took me an extremely long time to overcome that fear. Cohn gained important information about retreating German forces while posing as a German nurse looking for a Nazi husband. She talked to several German officers, even one she helped heal, despite him boasting about his acts against Jewish people. Cohn says she thinks it's important to speak to younger generations because history tends to repeat itself. She says, quote, You are the future, I am the past. And she says she has hope for the future. As for neo-Nazis and Holocaust deniers, she has one message. I would tell them that when they deny that there was camps, then bring back my sister. I have a sister who disappeared at the age of 21 in Auschwitz, and she was a medical student. Well, great job doing that uh, interview and pre-record, Seth. Um, I guess my question to you would, I mean, what is it, I mean, what is it like to be in the presence of somebody who has seen so much and done so much in a lifetime? It's really, she was quite a incredible person. Um, she had a lot of insight and you could tell that she had a lot of experience uh, as a spy, French spy. Um, and... Yeah, it was, just, it was just really insightful, and um, she was 97 years old. I know. And the thing about that, which is crazy, is that when she was talking about hiding behind the bushes for, like, waiting for the sentinels and everything, you could kind of hear the emotion and still oh, the yeah. same fear and the same emotion that she probably felt 70 years ago. And just it kind of just speaks to the point of she went through something so traumatic that it will it sticks with people. And it's I think it's cool that, you know, all these years later, she still remembers very specific details of mm. what happened. She was about 22 as well, like uh, about our age, college age. Mm -hmm. So she did all this when she was uh, about a college student's age. Yeah. She's yeah. pretty crazy. And she has a pretty last powerful thing saying for all the deniers of the Holocaust out there, bring back my sister. So right. I think that's Oof. a pretty powerful message too. Yeah. A lot of people out there, and especially somebody like this who went through it, saw it firsthand, and kind of tried to battle it. I think, uh, yeah, I really wish I could have made that speech last night because she sounds like a very amazing person. Right. She she was pretty passionate about um, uh, amidst the political turmoil and um, the uh, neo-Nazi emergence of neo-Nazis and Holocaust survivors, even going as so far as to say that... Um, Trump is a neo-Nazi for wow. not acknowledging neo-Nazis mm. at first. Hmm. Tony, you, you were there too. You Did you interview Martha as well? I was there for the interview. I did not ask any questions. Um, I was mainly an observer and taking some pictures for it. But um, I think it's important to note that like Martha is an astounding woman. And like she was not afraid to talk about these subjects. And she very much knew where she stood, both on her experiences in the past and how it relates to now. And I just thought she was incredible. And yeah. her story was heartbreaking, but inspiring at the same time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I um, feel like when you go through that much, then you, you can't help but be like amazingly wise and like I mean, know so much. Oh, you know? so much. And just the fact of being 97 and traveling to universities and all around the world and speaking to younger generations, mm -hmm. I think that that's an incredible service that she's giving to kids our age. So um, she I said, applaud Martha, and I think that she's an amazing woman. Yeah, I was saying I was saying earlier she, uh, I my uh, my roommate um, happened to see her on campus, and she said she was like the sweetest lady. She just like waved her and was like, "Hello, how no. are you doing?" And she was like, "Oh my God, you're amazing." Well, <laughs> Tony, one last thing. Yeah, like I guess my final thought. I don't know if Seth has anything else. Is that like she? At least to me, it seemed like she put a pretty big emphasis on like like current generations and like how you go forward from here. Hmm. And she spoke very highly of like, like what the next steps are and like how is like, how is the future gonna be brighter because people now are gonna, gonna take action. Mm. But I don't know if Seth has more to add on that. Yeah, she, I mean, she said that she finds so much important importance of talking at universities and she doesn't take any money by doing this. Wow. Um, mm. And 
she said because history repeats itself and so she's uh, kind of like what we heard in the pre-record that she uh she said that the generation she's speaking to are the future and she's the past so um she's trying to make the most out of that yeah 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 well thank you so much that thanks for uh coming on tony and kind of just talking about the interview uh, we're going to take a quick break here at the rocky mountain review but when we come back we will be joined in studio with our very own ave martin and we will be discussing our music segment for the week so stay tuned and yeah <laughs> Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm one of two hosts here on the show, Gabe Peterson, and my co-host, Julia Badalise. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm, I'm here. Yes. And <laughs> we are joined in studio by Abe Martin. How are you doing, Abe? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to it's see you. Great ya. to be here. And we still have in studio J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Still here. And Raven Color. What up? Oh, what up? <laughs> so we're going to hop into the music segment, Abe. So why don't you uh, just go ahead and take that away? Yes, indeed. So today I'm going to be discussing the double XL freshman class prediction for the year of 2018. Um, last year we had a, a lot of interesting artists. One of which is XXX Tentacion. He's um, he's a character, <laughs> definitely a character. Um, Amine was one of them. Ugly God was one of them. There were a lot of complaints that. The art is declining as far as the double XL freshman class. If you are unaware what the double XL freshman class is, Julia, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Um, it is a uh, a group of up and coming rappers and R and B artists, primarily towards rap though, who are shaking the game up. They are the newest. They are the best. That's the why it's wave. called the freshmen, um, since they are uh, first year, so to speak, in terms of the rap game. So. There have been predictions for 2018. One of the primary two, I would say, are Lil Pump and Bad Baby or Bad Bobby. Still not sure how Bad to pronounce Bobby. her name, but it's uh, Danielle uh, Brigioli or something like that. She is uh, famous from Dr. Phil. She's the Catch Me Outside girl. Oh. Yeah, so okay. she's she's known from that. And yes, she does rap. Yes, she does. I well, I, I don't know how she, I feel about it. Does she do it, it well? No, people. I don't know. <laughs> it's not good. People, people. It's not great. I don't know. I read the comments and people are loving it. I don't understand. You it, know, <laughs> I think it's like a joke love, like like same thing with XXX. Which is weird. That yes. she's what fifteen? Yes. She's like what fifteen? Isn't that yeah. just weird? I just find that very disturbing. But anyways, continue. She's fifteen. But there has been a semi-official release from double xl and this includes the uh the pitch list as they call it and some of these artists include like i said lil pump is one of them um smoke perp is another one excellent names by the way trippy <laughs> red is another one as well as ybn namir and Ski Mask the Slump God. Yeah, that's my personal so, favorite. I saw that... Uh, Ski? Ski Mask the Slump God. Yes. He bumps. Oh, yeah. He's he's actually good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he deserves one of the, to be on the list. Yeah, definitely. But, like, the 17 Lil names that are... Like, Lil Boom. Yeah. Lil, <laughs> Lil Skies. Boom. Lil Wop. Lil yes. Baby. The uh, Danielle, the, uh, the Cash Me Outside Girl. Mm -hmm. 14. 14. 14. She's not even, even 15. Even worse. Nope. 2003. Wow. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Wow, I also Whoa. yeah, that's that's disturbing to me. But anyways, Abe, uh, I saw that um, Takashi sixty nine yep. might make the list. Takashi yeah. sixty nine. What do you think about that? I I oh man. I was I was about to bring him up. I was gonna have a special spot just for him to discuss <laughs> his whatever it is that he does. Whatever it is, he so, also he's in the news. Did you see the LAX incident that yes. happened the other day? No. What <laughs> I don't know, dude. And it's times like this when you it tell. makes me wonder. I'm also a hip-hop genre director here at KCSU as well as production director. I wear a couple hats. Say one of them is a beanie, one of them is a fedora. <laughs> yep, yep. And at the moment, the fedora <laughs> is the hip-hop director because I'm wondering about the art. Like, I feel as though 
I don't even know if I like hip hop that much anymore because of artists like this. Because of the fact that it's like what what these kids represent. You know, Takashi Six Nine, New York guy, rainbow hair, a lot of face tattoos. I think he has sixty nine tattooed on him yes. sixty nine times. Yes, that Why? that is true. Why? Mature. A big one right here on his forehead too. <laughs> yep. Couple on his cheeks, like it's 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 ridiculous. Face cheeks, by the way. It is. It's it's asinine. <laughs> it makes zero sense to me. I'm not sure why. And he's he's not that great of a person no, he's either. No, he's a terrible. And this is the second time that we would have a double XL freshman be in the news for bad things. Last yeah, year, yeah, it was XXX Tentacion. I refuse to call him X. The only X in my my dictionary of hip hop is DMX. Mm. Shout out to DMX. Hope you're okay. Hope you're not in jail. <laughs> yeah. But um, aside Seriously. from that, yeah, XXX Tentacion last year he had a lot of legal trouble. He was beating people up. He was just getting knocked just, out. Just yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah, he got knocked out on stage. Bad press. So with with hip hop being on the super rise that it that's that it's on that it's been on and that i believe it will continue to be on i'm thinking about just covering jazz from now on i don't Dude, know maybe, if I'm, I, I mean it's just like everybody you mentioned is like what under 20 yes who's all, trying to make this freshman all class? of these people are i'd say under 25 at least yeah ski mask is 21 22 Lil Pump's 16 isn't he Lil Pump is 16 oh, yeah 14 yeah, catch me outside, girl. I I don't even know how to pronounce if it's bad baby or bad Bobby because there's two like, H's. I think in it's it. I think it's Why Bobby because I would this? assume it's supposed to sound like Barbie. Yeah, I don't know. I'll but, never listen to her, so I couldn't really tell you. Yeah. But what do you think about like the not. new freshman? Like, cause you know, like Lil Pump has like legal battles too, and like mm -hmm. everybody. I just is it is it good for rap as like a music to just keep promoting these people like XXXTension who mm -hmm. may face multiple years in a, in a federal prison. I yeah. mean, like, is it, are we promoting a culture here with these new artists? You know, what's interesting is that when it was counterculture, when hip hop wasn't the culture, mm -hmm. it was an allure to it. But now that these kids, literally, they're kids. These kids are the face of hip hop. I don't know how I feel about it because being a face of hip hop, that means you're the face of culture yeah. since hip hop is pop culture now. Hip hop is pop. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a fan of it. If it was counterculture, I still wouldn't be a fan of it, obviously, because there's not great things that are happening, but it would make more sense as as that, you know. Is it is it the music that you're not necessarily vibing with, or is it more of just like the image that like a lot of these young rappers are putting out there? It's a combination of both. It's a combination of both. And when you have such a huge cultural backing on something like this, it's 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 not great. It doesn't reflect well on the community itself. And I'm gonna sound like an old person saying things like this and everybody complains <laughs> about the old heads that yeah. don't let the young kids shine and stuff, but it's like I'm the same age as some of these people. I know exactly. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, this this isn't what we should be going for. But mm -hmm. you know, when you have actual artists that are involved in it, you know, last year and I hate saying actual artists. I won't yeah, discount no, we, anyone's yeah. art. Yeah. But when you have people that are more geared beyond just hip hop, when you have people that are They're actually creating an emotional exactly, connection. Exactly. When they're when they're overall just creators, I respect that a little bit more and I have respect for the double XL freshman class that puts artists like Amine on there and mm -hmm. Kamaya who uh, are, are a couple artists that are shifting the culture a little bit more in a different direction rather than the same monotonous I don't even call it violence anymore yeah. I don't even know if these well yeah a lot of it is violent but yeah. um, we're, we're kind of desensitized to it at this point I know it is weird and like we're having this huge um, national debate about this whole gun policy yeah. and like you know mental health issues little pump in a music video is like i got expelled for telling my principal i was gonna kill him and his family and i'm just like dude what like yeah. this is the person who's making millions of records like that we're listening to so yeah i don't know it's just that kind of aspect that i don't really i guess what about uh what about khalid is he not like is he not allowed to be like a xxl you know he could but he's more r&b kind of the weekend-ish yeah artists are allowed to reject it obviously it's it's entirely up to them if they want to be a part of it if they want to give a pitch um i'd say a similar situation to khalid last year um or khalid for 2018 was last year i believe it was actually he did it, it was a conversation with him for for being on it last year um and a few years ago the weekend was one of the artists that 
was pursued. Drake has been pursued for it. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes once you get to a certain point in artistry, you don't really need it anymore. Um, some artists feel as though it's not necessary to be on the cover. It used to be a big deal, but I think now as you see the shift in the types of artists that are covered on it, mm-hmm. I think 2016 was the biggest shift. That was the year with yeah. Kodak Black yep. and um, that terrible cipher. All the Lils, the Lil Uzis. <laughs> the, <laughs> so just yeah. one quick question because we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite freshman class of all time? Favorite freshman class of all time was probably either 2012 where Kendrick Lamar was a part of it. Yeah. That's, I feel like, all I need to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 2007, 2006, actually, was pretty dope. It had Lupe Fiasco in it um, hmm. and Plies, surprisingly. Oh, Plies. With, baby. It, I, I feel like it was the weirdest group because you have just ultra lyrical Lupe Fiasco and then, as you said, Buss It Baby Plies. Mm-hmm. Very hilarious. Um, and who else? I think... Uh, 2013 was pretty good. Yeah, Big Sean, Action, yeah, Future. Action, Travis yeah, Scott was a part yeah, of it. That's so. like the one that I'm like that comes to my head whenever I think of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cool stuff. I think yeah. KCSU should do a freshman class. That would be we should, cool. We should <laughs> cover some some Just local like the cool. best like, artists, no matter yeah. the genre. Or yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Abe. I think that's going to wrap up the music segment. But thank you. Cool. Appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. So we're just going to jump into weather real quick because, like I said, we are running out of time. Um, today is Thursday. Um, it is 26 degrees currently right now. It doesn't look like it's going to get any hotter today. As, it, as we get to around 8 p.m., it's going to uh, drop to about 17 degrees. Um, says it could snow so anybody going out to the bars Don't tonight be prepared uh tomorrow friday uh looks like it's actually going to snow quite of the day with a 50 chance from the morning until the afternoon with a high of 31 uh but this weekend looks not that bad it's just going to be cloudy high of 36 both days so it's just going to be kind of a cold wintry next few days can you explain what quite of the day means? <laughs> what? That is exactly <laughs> Can you I, explain I what made, quite of the day means. I made, quite of the day? Because that's I what made, you said about the snow. I made it's I, going I, to snow quite of the day. Quite I, of the day. Like I made eye contact. part of the day, like, like half like, of the day. Quite I made eye day. contact with Ave and then just just <laughs> mouthed quite of the day. <laughs> quite. Quite. Well, it's very British, I think. Thank quite you. of Sounds the day. Like Gabe, you're not dapper enough for that. I speak British. It's very proper. Anyway. Anyways, um, I think that's going to conclude our show. Yes. Um, thank you to our reporters. We had um, the ones that didn't come on today was, I think, just Joe Green? Yeah. No, you yeah. can't forget about we Otter. Oh, and Katie Otter. Yeah, she's new, so I kind of, sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you also to Bjorn Larson, Raven Color, um, JD Layton, our national news correspondent. Um, and I guess Raven Raven is somehow the awesome reporter. I don't know how she got we'll that title. We'll I'm okay with it. <laughs> of course you are. Awesome. Um, <laughs> um, thanks to Seth Bodine for a wonderful pre-record with uh, Martha Cohen. Um Thank you to Abe Martin for coming on. Um, thank you to Gabe Peterson. Thank, thank you to myself. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to take it from you, but thank you no. very much. <laughs> and thank you to the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. And Rod Lammers. Oh, my God. We have so many people to thank. Well, that just means we have a great show and we have a lot of great contributors yeah. and content creators. So. Yeah. If you want to tune in next week, we'll be back on The Rocky Mountain Review goes every four to five, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, all your local sports, all of the news, all the different types. Um, Yeah, stay tuned um, to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.